Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I am your host and fellow Clubfoot Mom, Maureen Hoff. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Danica Baskar, a fourth-year medical student at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Jersey. She has a passion for Clubfoot and working with Clubfoot families. Danica and I connected through Betsy Miller, the author of The Parents' Guide to Clubfoot and a previous podcast guest. Because of the research projects that Danica was doing and is still doing about Clubfoot topics. I'm excited to talk to Danica and have her as a guest on the podcast for a lot of different reasons, which you will soon find out because she's awesome. But one of the main reasons being that she represents kind of the future of clubfoot treatment, right? So we talk a lot about what, as parents, how important it is with the Ponsetti method. And obviously I'm a huge proponent of that method. And it's especially important that the method be continued to be taught and trained by future doctors. And that's what makes me excited to talk to somebody who's currently in medical school. So In this episode, we're going to talk with Danica about all sorts of things, but about how she developed an interest in Clubfoot, the different research projects that she has been working on, and how they hope to use the information from that research to help Clubfoot families. So let's dive in. Hi, Danica. Thanks so much for being here, and I'm really excited to talk to you and have you on the podcast today. Hi, Maureen. Yeah, great to talk to you, too, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's very exciting. So why don't we just start with, why don't you start by telling us about how you first developed an interest in pediatric orthopedics and when you first heard about Clubfoot? Sure. Yeah. So I'll say that I have always really been someone who really enjoyed working with children and families, even undergrad, uh, after undergrad, actually, I spent a year working as a research assistant in the pediatrics division at the Cleveland Clinic. Mm -hmm. And I just really loved working with this population. Um, I can tell you about my interest in terms of orthopedics. It was probably during my pre-med and pre-clinical years that I really developed an interest in human anatomy and biology. And I'd say it was probably during my clinical rotations in medical school that I really started to enjoy working with teams to take care of patients after acute trauma and injury Mm -hmm. and help guide them through their surgical and post-operative care. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say probably my first introduction to orthopedics was actually working with our residents and faculty in a resident-run pediatric orthopedic clinic that we have. And Mm -hmm. I just remember instantly having that feeling of just being so fascinated by how our physicians are able to restore mobility and improve function and alleviate Mm -hmm. pain in our patients. Um, And I knew that, you know, I wanted to continue exploring those career interests that I had, which actually led me to take a year off from medical school to work very closely Um, with the Stanford Division of Pediatric Orthopedic Surgery for my research fellowship year. Um, Most of my research was focused on congenital clubfoot. Um, I think children are just so resilient and working with families kind of adds a new level to the interactions that we have between parents and providers. And that's something that I really enjoy. Um, And I think just having the opportunity to follow their progress as they kind of grow over time Mm -hmm. is also really exciting to see too. And a little bit about yeah. maybe when I first heard about Clubfoot, 
you know, I think in medical school, it's probably well known that we don't actually get a lot of knowledge about the musculoskeletal system. It's pretty limited. And, you know, I'd say that maybe we had a lecture or two here and there about those topics and clubfoot might've been something that was kind of briefly mentioned, but I didn't really know much about clubfoot itself before my research year. Um, But that's something that, of course, we kind of continue to learn on through our work a little bit more too. Yeah, I think that that's always surprising to me. Well, twofold. One, it's not really surprising to me because I had never heard of clubfoot and now mm-hmm. I have it, right? But so it's not surprising that people don't hear about it a lot, but it's also surprising on the other hand, because it's one of the most common birth defects. Mm-hmm. And so you, it's this interesting dynamic between being so common yet nobody really is spending or knows about it or talks about it. And so mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that too, because it is one of, it's something that is so common yet there doesn't seem seem to be a lot of focus on it unless you know about it, unless you're in it, Mm -hmm. unless you're doing work with it. Right. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that too. It's only, like you said, I don't think I knew a lot about it before, but then once Mm -hmm. you start to learn a little bit more about it, you're like, wow, okay. One in thousand children are actually affected. You know, it's a lot more common than I had thought of. Maybe we don't have people in our direct circle who have it, but you can come across people or families with a child with clubfoot. So it's definitely a possibility too. Yeah. Right. And I do think you're right about the relationship um, with, that's the unique part about clubfoot treatment Mm -hmm. is like this ability to watch kids grow and to really connect long-term relationships with families and to see the progress that's made through treatment. And I don't know if there are other orthopedic situations that are similar to that, where you have a long-term relationship, but I definitely think it's something that is indicative of clubfoot treatment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what drew you to clubfoot and its treatment? So I think it was really during my research year and working with my mentor, Dr. Stephen Frick, that of course I began to learn a little bit more about Clubfoot and Dr. Ponsetti's work and the story behind how parents were really the champions for increasing that awareness about Ponsetti casting in early internet chat groups. Right. Um, I think it was really that story of how the Ponsetti method of treatment came to be recognized through the efforts of our clubfoot parents and families that really fascinated me and still does even today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also really love how the treatment's just based on a deep understanding of the foot and ankle development and anatomy. Um, And I would say probably those two aspects were the biggest ones that really drew me to clubfoot and its treatment. Mm. Yeah, I think it is very interesting to me being a clubfoot parent to know the history of how the Ponsetti method became kind of the gold standard and how much parent involvement was in that. And the more that I get involved and the more that I talk to different people within the community and learning more about Ponsetti and just how much he had done and how much research he had given and how hard but he didn't have this like ego. Right. So he wasn't Mm -hmm. like going around being like, this is the best thing that's ever. He was just like, listen, guys, like, this is what I'm doing. Like pay attention. And it wasn't until parents really came in and were like, Hey, this guy's doing something. And I want you Mm -hmm. to do that. I want you to try. And just the power that parents can have sometimes was just, I definitely feel that too. It's one of the things that I think is really special about 
the current treatment of clubfoot and how it came about. Yeah, absolutely. I think we always hear that parents are definitely the best advocate for their children. And this is absolutely a story of that too. You're right. Absolutely. So what do you think is the hardest part of clubfoot treatment? Um, Maybe in terms of what I've seen so far, at least. Yeah, right. um, I'd say probably the hardest part of clubfoot treatment is maybe the transition to the parent-driven treatment phase or Mm -hmm. the bracing phase right after Ponsetti casting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think oftentimes our parents may be learning about their child's clubfoot still and also learning how to care for a newborn all at the same time, um, right. which can absolutely be a challenge. Um, as we know, you know, clubfoot is a condition where treatment tends to extend well into early childhood and requires years of bracing as part of the treatment. And we also know that bracing adherence tends to be the most important factor in actually preventing relapse for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that itself can also be associated with its own challenges. And so really trying to persevere through that stage of treatment mm-hmm. and continue um, that for the child as they grow can be challenging. So that's probably what I would say right now. You're saying, I mean, I, that's exactly the nail on the head. I think that a lot of the time parents aren't prepared. And I don't think there is necessarily like a thing that we should be doing to prepare parents. Like, I don't, I don't think there's a lack of um, preparedness that's going on. I think it's just this fact that like, whoa, like, okay, like I'm really in charge now. Like I'm not just on the sidelines anymore. Like I'm an active caregiver for my child and I'm going to be assuming this responsibility for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for me, I think that transition that you're talking about is that first initial thrust into it. And then you go, okay. And that's when you're like really overwhelmed. And then on top of that, you're caring for a newborn and you're adjusting to the racing. And there's just so many, a lot of kids are going through sleep regressions at that time, like natural baby sleep regressions. And you're trying to figure it all out to, Mm -hmm. um, and determine what's, what's what. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Definitely definitely the hardest part. So, (laughs) right. That's far. We're not done yet. So (laughs) I know, (laughs) right. That too. And I'm sure, you know, the challenges are different at each stage too, right? Bracing has its own challenges, but that itself can kind of change as the child grows too. Um, And I think, you know, I've talked to some families who maybe have a second child with clubfoot and they're like, okay, well, I've gone through this once already, but again, the challenges are still a little bit different. And so, and that tends to be something that I hear about too. Wow. Yeah. That's a good point. So what do you think is the most rewarding part of clubfoot treatment? I think the most rewarding part easily has to be seeing the child's foot position just correct Mm -hmm. really beautifully, honestly, with a series of casts and a small surgery in some cases. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also just hearing from the parents and their perspective about the progress that they see through their own eyes for their child Um, And watching the child just grow and be able to do the activities that their peers are doing is just really the most exciting and rewarding part of treatment. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible Mm -hmm. what can happen in such a short period of time. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I had a great opportunity during our research year to be able to follow some of our children who were undergoing the clubfoot cast. And I think even in our rotations, which are a little bit shortened, we tend to do about one month, maybe two month rotations. That's enough time to even correct a child's club foot in that mm-hmm. initial stage with Ponsetti casting. And so I think for anyone involved with the care, maybe seeing that for the first time, you're like, wow, 
that is a big change for sure. Their foot looks so much better even after the first cast in most cases. So true. And no, and no surgery involved. Like it's amazing how much the manipulation, the stretching and the casting mm-hmm. can do. And you're to get that foot. I remember taking pictures of the progression every week and then sending them to people who weren't, you know, there, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. people would just be so shocked by the amount of correction that happens in such a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I know we even see our, uh, some of our providers tell our parents to take pictures, you know, at the appointment and compare mm-hmm. those changes, because at the end of this, you're going to see how much your child's foot changes. And it's really incredible to be able to see that in person, but then almost like a time lapse of what happens from the beginning to the end of treatment too. I know. And it's pretty incredible, actually, just hearing you talk about this and talking about it. It's interesting to think about the juxtaposition of how fast the foot can be corrected and then how long the bracing is like mm-hmm. right to keep the foot corrected through all the mm-hmm. growth, through all the um, development of the foot as the child gets older. So it's corrected so quickly in a lot of cases, and then it takes years in order to keep the correction. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But each stage is so important too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the research projects that you worked on relating to Clubfoot. Sure. Yeah. So we had quite a few projects that we actually worked on last year and are still kind of working on today too. Um, it's a two that, uh, you know, we can kind of talk about today. So the first one we actually called the congenital Clubfoot Conversations Project. Mm. Um, this one, so when we think about, you know, children with Clubfoot typically don't really recall that initial treatment in infancy with Ponsetti casting and early bracing. Mm-hmm. Um, but treatments that happen a little bit later in life, so things like bracing, maybe possible repeat casting or even surgery for relapse, whether they undergo physical therapy or even just going to the various doctor's appointments can kind of let lead our children to have that heightened awareness about their condition. Mm. Um, and so we were actually curious to learn a little bit more about how parents kind of navigate those conversations with their children about their clubfoot diagnosis and treatment and how they go about actually educating their children about their condition. Um, And so for this study, we actually designed like an electronic survey for parents to complete anonymously. And uh, we shared that on various Facebook parent support groups so that they could kind of share more about their experiences at home with this. Um, And we actually received responses from about 74 parents and about 23 of them also participated in a study interview with their team Mm -hmm. to share a little bit more about those experiences. And it was actually pretty insightful what we learned from the study. Um, I'd say about 91% of the parents said that they had discussions about clubfoot with their child, typically beginning around a median age of about three years. So pretty young, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And although about 68% of our parents actually said that they would receive guidance from their orthopedic provider, actually, um, they would prefer advice from their orthopedic provider. Mm. Only 18% actually noted receiving any kind of direct advice. So there was still Mm. a big discrepancy there. Um, From our study interviews that we did, we found some recurrent themes across those conversations. Um, And probably mainly those themes were things like having an open and honest conversation that begins very early in the child's life so that they would kind of be able to associate um, what clubfoot is for them and then uh, kind of carry that conversation forward throughout their treatment. Um, parents kind of explained that it was important to show photos, 
and even show casts if you had it to help the child learn about those early phases of treatment that they might not remember right now. Um, and then even be able to kind of help support their child as they notice differences, whether that's in physical appearance or activities between themselves and their peers. So those are some of the important themes that came up from that project. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's very pertinent for me at this mm-hmm. point, since my daughter's almost four. And it is definitely a conversation that you start having as their development and their cognitive abilities grow. It's this, especially if you have siblings around that are maybe not having clubfoot, right? And not bracing and not, even if they're past that and this idea of the differences Mm -hmm. and how do you go about talking to them about it? What is developmentally appropriate? What, how do you start even the conversation? So Mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting to hear that a lot of parents would like guidance from their doctors about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for our kids who are a little bit older, that's where we started to hear parents share comments that maybe their peers or friends had made, whether that's at school or sporting Mm -hmm. events or kind of a common um, situation where they were around others their age. Um, We know kids are very honest. And I think that's where, you know, those comments kind of come in from. And so we were curious about how they navigated those conversations and questions that their child might bring up about Clubfoot. So that's really where that motivation for this project came from. But it was uh, pretty interesting to see that I think overall people were just honest conversations. When a question comes up, we definitely want to address it and not shy away from that topic. And that's how they maintain that line of communication with their children. Yeah, I like that. The open, open and honest communication for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's like you don't want to bring too much attention to it, especially mm-hmm. younger. You're kind of walking this balance of how much do they need to know? How much do should you be talking to them about it? But then on the other hand, when they ask questions about it, you want to make sure that you're prepared with mm-hmm. responses that are age appropriate for them and to help them understand. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That was also another theme that came up, making sure that we can kind of make sure that the conversation is age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the complexity of balancing that with the fact that you're essentially having a conversation with your child about something that they're born with that is different, mm-hmm. um, but something that we are working on treatment for. So yeah, yeah. it's wow. a fine line to walk for sure. Yeah, that's cool. So what's the other project that you worked on? Yeah. So we also worked on another project. Um, this one we call the Clubfoot and Social Media Project. Mm. Um, this one was really interesting. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, social media has really taken over the way that we access information in our world today. Yep. Um, and even about information regarding our health too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we know, you know, clubfoot being one of the most common pediatric musculoskeletal conditions. Um, and of course we talked a little bit about that story where the Ponsetti method really became popularized by the efforts of our parents sharing that information in early internet chat groups. So given that, we were actually kind of interested in seeing um, the reach of information that's being shared about Clubfoot across social media platforms today and the various topics of discussion that are going on surrounding this topic. Um, And so we actually ended up looking at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter to look at the types of content that are being shared about Clubfoot. And um, it's actually interesting what we found. So on Facebook, we found about 122 groups that were focused on kind of providing like an online forum for parents to discuss 
um, things like successful treatment stories, any questions about casting, embracing, and relapse. And um, there were also some questions that we saw about commercial items that were compatible for their child's club foot treatment. Mm-hmm. And Twitter tended to be a little bit more educational in the sense that we saw some live webinars that were being kind of offered there um, and some more educational resources for parents and providers. But I think the most surprising things that we found were actually on our visual platforms like Instagram and TikTok. Mm. So Instagram, at the time that we did the search last year, when we searched for hashtag Clubfoot, we actually saw over 59,000 cumulative posts on Clubfoot-related content. And then on TikTok, when we did the same search looking at hashtag Clubfoot, there were over 34.7 million total views at the time for content that was being shared related to Clubfoot again there. Um, And most of that content kind of for the visual platforms are centered around things like sharing successful treatment stories and before and after from casting and bracing that parents and families would share. Um, And so it was really interesting, the types of content that's being shared on these platforms. Um, I think we also wanted to kind of balance this with um, what kind of oversight is kind of happening for this type of content. And we did see that there is very limited physician and uh, presence and monitoring of this content. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of important to weigh both those aspects. Of course, it's a very important resource for our families, but right. it's still important to kind of bring those topics and discussion to our providers before making any changes. So, yeah. Right. I do think it is a different day and age. Those numbers are surprised. Like, I mean, not surprising, but like surprising. I mean, I'm not a TikTok person. So for me, like the idea that there were 34 million views, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like mind blowing because I I get it, but it's also, for me, it just shows that, that parents are really looking to share their stories and then other parents are wanting to connect, right? And I think that's where these social media forum groups really do hold value is connection and creating the parent to parent community. I do agree with you that I think it tends to get a little dicey. And I've talked about this in my book and on other things is when we start to look, search for medical related questions in your kind of seeking medical advice that maybe parents can't give you the information that you're looking for. So mm-hmm. everything needs to just be, I think there's pros and cons to a lot of it. And in our experience, social media was really overwhelming. I mean, it definitely served a purpose because I was able to kind of realize the things that were out there and the possibilities of what could happen in treatment. I really got a gauge for red flags, signs Mm -hmm. of what I should be looking for um, as a parent, but at the same time, trying to understand that not everybody on there is going and are sharing the everyday experiences with their kids, Mm -hmm. right? The wins of every day, the when treatment goes smoothly, a lot of those people aren't on there and, or constantly posting. A lot of people are looking for help. So it's that weighing of what, what do we need to take out of the social media? How do we learn from it? But then what are the kind of lines that we need to draw to go, okay, this may be something that I need to actually talk to a medical provider about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the big challenge with social media nowadays, too, especially for any kind of content related to health that we're seeing out there. Right. right. Yeah. It must be very um, 
interesting to be a doctor coming up in this age where it's so people will go on social media and say, Hey, somebody said that my kid's foot looks weird. And then they're going to come into you and they're going to say, but this is what somebody said. And you're like, how are you supposed to handle that? Right. Like I just right. it put it, it puts doctors in a different situation. Mm, sure. Yeah. I think it's uh pretty tough. I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll be seeing a lot more of that kind of going forward and how to deal with those scenarios right. too. But yeah. I know that it's, yeah, a tough line to balance. You know, you want to essentially trust your doctor, right. With those decisions yeah. that they're making too. And then there are also trusted people that you see online because you like and follow their content too. So figuring out, you know, what is the truth and also what is the best for your health or your child's health is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a balance. Mm -hmm. So of all the research you've done, what do you think is a big takeaway for clubfoot parents? So for everybody listening who are clubfoot parents, what do you think? I would say probably the biggest takeaway, maybe from the research that I've been involved with so far Mm -hmm. related to clubfoot probably actually comes from speaking with their parents and families in that clubfoot treatment can be hard and Mm -hmm. sometimes even an isolating experience as we've heard from many families. Mm -hmm. And especially when no one around you may be facing a similar situation. Mm -hmm. I think um, through some of our parent interviews that we've done, I've gotten a chance to speak with quite a few families who've mentioned that even running into another family at a clinic with a child who has clubfoot just by chance, mm-hmm. um, and even just a quick five minute interaction with them was just really helpful in knowing that they're not alone. Mm. And so I think it's important to recognize that clubfoot treatment and this treatment journey can be challenging for many. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly okay to talk to others, whether that's your child's healthcare provider friends or family or support system, or even reach out for advice from others who've undergone similar experiences. Um, I think also the importance of just continuing with treatment and being consistent with wearing the boots and bar every day just can't be emphasized enough. Right. Um, It's definitely challenging. We understand that for sure. But Mm -hmm. having your child wear the brace, even on those days that maybe they don't want to wear or even around peers or family that might be asking questions is really important Mm -hmm. because you know what it takes for your child to get to a good corrected position, which is the goal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so really each step that you're taking every day to work on that over time really leads to the best possible outcome for your child in treating clubfoot. Yeah. Agreed. I think the community, creating community, sharing experiences, like you said, knowing that you're not alone and trying to reach out to people, really important. And I also think you're right. That's a huge takeaway for parents and it's a big responsibility and it doesn't, and I think it's important for parents to know that doctors understand that. They get it. They understand that they're asking a lot of you and but they see that the work that you're putting in and they see you. And I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree too, for sure. Yeah. So I know you're not like actually, you know, a doctor yet, but (laughs) based on your experience with the clubfoot interactions you've had so far, where do you think clubfoot treatment is headed in the future? Because yeah, so like, frankly, you're kind of the future. So let's, you know, sure. I'm to hear what <laughs> <Right>. you <have. laughs> yeah, no, at least based on, you know, what I've seen so far, I can tell you that I think an aspect of treatment that maybe can be improved that we can work on moving forward 
that we've kind of touched on already in our conversation is finding ways to better support our club of families as their child grows Mm -hmm. and helping the child to learn more about their condition too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we really have some great resources out there now, um, like parent guides and also documentaries that our parents can watch to learn a little bit more about Clubfoot. Um, and even of course their orthopedic or healthcare provider can also serve as some great resources for information too. And even for children, we actually have some good children's books out there now that parents can read with their kids and help them learn about their clubfoot. Um, I think of course, parents and caregivers tend to be that primary source of information for our clubfoot children. Mm-hmm. But I think even for us as the provider, we can actually do a better job of kind of addressing this in the clinical setting too. So that way we can kind of understand how a child's club foot may individually impact them in other aspects of their life, whether that's in school, around their peers, or even during their sports activities or play, so that we can help support them with those early conversations about their condition and care. Yeah, I like it. I'm excited about that. I think you're right. I think the, the, the doctors definitely play a role in it, right? Like the parents are the ones guiding, but the parents need the support and the doctors can definitely play a role in being able to lead those conversations and have those conversations with their kids. But yeah. Yeah. Well, have there been any standout moments? I asked this of everybody. So um, (laughs) like of your work with the Clubfoot families so far, like anything that was just really memorable. I probably have to say that maybe one of the greatest moments in our work so far had to probably have come from the parent interviews that we did for Mm -hmm. that Clubfoot Conversations project. Um, You know, we got a really interesting chance to kind of look at those conversations between parents and their children about Clubfoot diagnosis and treatment. And through that study, we also had the opportunity to speak with families actually all around the world. And I think it was really interesting to hear about the differences in how accessible treatment for clubfoot is and mm-hmm. how this can really vary regionally, even within the U.S. That was actually really eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many families, it was also the first time that they had really opened up about their experiences and the challenges they faced to mm-hmm. someone outside of their partner or family members when we actually did that interview with them. And uh, it was just really insightful for us to just learn from their experiences. And it also showed that the Clubfoot community is just so special for so many reasons. I think from the parents to the children and even those who are involved in their care, the Clubfoot community we know is a strong community. And I think everyone that I've really met has been so open and sharing their experiences to help others Mm -hmm. um, who are just going through similar situations. And I think parents and families generally do want to be involved in the research that we have that's ongoing in the field. And we've also seen an increase in research interest in Clubfoot too, which is really exciting. And so that makes me really hopeful for the future and all there is to come in the coming years too. Yeah, that makes me excited too. And it makes me really appreciative of um, even you guys just doing the research and being a witness to those parents' experience. I think. Sometimes while the community is really strong, it is really just being able to be open with people about what you're going through and have people take an interest in what their experience has been like can really help validate and yeah, just witness and see people in their experience. So I appreciate that you guys did that and that, that I'm glad it was a good experience for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking back, it was definitely the best decision. I think I learned a lot from our club of families that just makes me motivated to be the best that I can to help them. Yeah. I have no doubt that you will. Thank you. (laughs) I really don't. I'm like very excited. It makes me excited for the future and how, because I think as a parent, you can get a little bit fearful of what's going to happen moving forward when some doctors retire and what's going to happen with clubfoot treatment in the future. But talking to people like you has just been reassuring and inspiring because it's like, yes, people are excited and they want to learn about and be involved with clubfoot treatment. And that's exciting for families everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also just a really exciting time to train. I want to say Mm -hmm. in addition to the medical knowledge, we also have a heavier emphasis on thinking about the experience of our patients. And Mm -hmm. so whether that's our parents or their children, Mm -hmm. um, or even our adult patients that we see, I think that's a really big emphasis in the care that we can provide. And I'm excited for that as we move forward too. Yeah, that is exciting. I like that. So if people want to be a part of the research or follow you and your journey, how can they do that? Sure. So we have um, a website that you can actually read a little bit more about the work that we had last year and also kind of ongoing work. Um, That's the Stanford Division of Pediatric Orthopedics has a research website. And so essentially, if you Google that, you can find a little bit more about the work that we're doing right now. Um, there's also a couple other resources that I'd like to share. So POSNO, which is the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America, they actually have a monthly podcast that they do. And last month's podcast in January of this year uh, was actually featuring Dr. Stephen Frick, my research mentor. So mm-hmm. he also shares a little bit more about the work that we did together last year too. So that's also a great listen. Cool. Um, if you haven't watched it, actually, there's a documentary that was released, I believe last year, actually, but it was produced by Lane Wyrick and also yep. MD Orthopedics mm-hmm. uh, in collaboration with both. It's titled The Ponsetti Clubfoot Treatment Worldwide. So that's yeah. also a really great resource that's available on YouTube. And uh, if you'd like to follow my journey, I actually have uh, an Instagram page at White Coat by Day. And so there I share a little bit more about my life in and outside of medicine and my treat, my um, training journey. So feel free to follow me there too. And I'm happy to connect. Great. Well, thank you so much. I'll have to check out that podcast. I haven't heard it yet. So I'm going to listen to that. Yeah. Sounds good. can hear a little bit more about our work on there too. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. The more awareness and people speaking about it, the better as far as I'm concerned. So absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being a guest today, Danica. I really loved our conversation and I can tell how passionate you are about not just clubfoot treatment, but like being a doctor in general. And I makes me excited and hopeful for the future. And I'm excited for you and knowing that there's doctors out there like you who will be working with families, whether it's clubfoot families, or if we're lucky enough to have you or other families in general, that the people, the doctors coming up are going to be good. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Thank you, Maureen. It was really great speaking with you today. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it was so great. So as always, thanks for listening today. And if you found the episode engaging and helpful, please like subscribe or share with your friends all the things that you typically do with podcasts. 
And if you would ever need to get in contact with me directly, you can do through so through my website at marinehoff.com or my Instagram account at Clubfoot Chronicles Mom. Until next time. <laughs>